It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com, the mobile app and podcast platforms. He's Jeff Fiegels. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we'll break down all that is happening with the New York Giants. A reminder, all of our shows this week are pre-recorded, so unfortunately we won't be able to take your phone calls, but you can continue to send in your questions using hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter as well as submitting your questions to the Giants.com mailbag, and we will answer some of them a little bit later on in the program. A reminder, you can also find the archive of the show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. A little bit later on in the program, we'll recap OTA number three and the media sessions that occurred on Thursday. But right off the top, we'll start by focusing on another member of this year's draft class, as the Giants selected corner Rodarius Williams out of Oklahoma State in the sixth round. And we are now joined by a man who coached him for the last three seasons with the Cowboys from 2018 to 2020, none other than Oklahoma State defensive coordinator Jim Knowles. Coach, you got Lance Meadow and Jeff Fiegels here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope you and yours are safe and healthy. How's everything on your end? Going great. Um, You know, finished finished spring ball, uh, getting ready to start up recruiting here after COVID, which will be a which will be a good thing for us. Absolutely, and a sign that we are inching closer to normalcy across the football landscape. But one of the reasons why we wanted you, of course, on the program is to delve more into what Rodarius Williams is going to bring to the New York Giants. So, Coach, I want to start when you first crossed paths with him because you came aboard in 2018 when you took over as defensive coordinator. He was already a starter in 2017. What were your first impressions of Rodarius Williams and how far along has he come since you began working with him? Well, my first impressions uh, were that he was, you know, very talented. He had, he had, he had the frame, you know, he had the skills um, to be a corner who you could put on an island and, um, you know, trust that he was going to be able to lock, lock somebody down. Now, um, you know, my, my early questions with uh, Lee Lee, and that's what we call him, Lee Lee, um, you know, where was he going to be able to handle it uh, mentally? You know, he was a very even keel, easy going guy. Um, but as I delved more into his background, he had really overcome a lot. So it was, it was uh, the initial uh, feeling was that he had the skills. And uh, now we were just going to have to develop, uh, you know, his confidence and his uh, mental capacity at the corner position. Uh, Coach, hi, it's Jeff Beagles here. Um, I appreciate you joining us uh, this morning. I, we really do about taking the call. Um, Rodarius is uh, obviously. I know he probably gets old of hearing, gets old him hearing about his brother Greedy Williams, who actually plays in the National Football League. Um, aside from that, you know, one thing that was impressive to me looking at him um, and some of his statistics is that he was a, a guy that started four years. And never missed a game, and I think that you know at the NFL level, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty good. Talk to me a little bit about his durability, and um, you know a little bit about how his brother, I'm sure, is going to be able to help him transition himself into the NFL. Yeah, he's uh, Lily is a guy who's going to show up every day uh, for work, which you know, as you're talking about that uh, that ability to 
Um, he, he seems to be a guy who, who handles the contact well and the aggressiveness of the game. Um, you know, never complains. He's really the, he's really the kind of player that you want to have on your team because you can count on him. And uh, I know he's close to his brother, and I know they talk a lot, and he'll be able to pick up a lot of tips from him in terms of how to make the transition from uh, into the NFL. Coach, speaking of his experience, one of the things that he was asked a lot since he joined the Giants is the fact that he's 24 and is going to turn 25 in September. And most people say, well, wow, that's pretty old for a rookie in the National Football League. On the flip side, you could argue, well, his maturity level is above and beyond what a typical rookie is. I'm curious, how much of an asset was his age and the fact that maybe not just from a football perspective, but from a life perspective, perspective he brought a little bit more to your locker room than the typical college player his maturity is a huge asset um you know if he's a little bit older than a normal rookie uh it's definitely a plus because he has been through um a lot in his life he's overcome a lot personally and i have seen his growth like i said i I knew he had the talent from the beginning but i have seen his growth um you know as as a mature young man who understands uh, life and what it takes to succeed and the work that needs to go in. And, you know, that light bulb went on, you know. So you're getting a guy who is ready-made and prepared to to handle being, being a professional. Uh, Coach, so I, I know that you really relied on him um, during the season, probably, you know, putting him on one of the best receivers and playing a lot of man coverage. Uh, you know, Coach... Uh, Patrick, Pat Graham is the defensive coordinator. Does like to play a lot of man coverage. Talk to me a little bit about his skill set. There is he able to uh, play a little bit of a slot? Is he a, a true cornerback outside? I know he's big, he's six foot, so that's a good thing. Yeah, we never had him in the slot. Um, I certainly wouldn't put it past him, but I couldn't comment on uh, what he would do there. I know uh, on the outside with the matchups and the length of receiver that we get nowadays, and I, and I know they get in the NFL, Lee competes. You know, he competes at the line of scrimmage. Um, he's able to play press and off equally well. He's learned how to uh, read offenses and, you know, pre-snap, identify uh, what the offense is trying to do. He's just grown a lot in terms of his study of the game. But physically, uh, he's not going to have any problem competing at the line of scrimmage in man coverage or at the end of the route. You know, he has that length and uh, ability to finish. We're talking with Oklahoma State defensive coordinator Jim Knowles, who coached sixth-round pick for the Giants, Radarius Williams, over the last three seasons in college. Related to his coverage skills, I think the number that jumps off the page, Coach, is 33 passes defensed over his career in those 48 straight starts that he made. What is it about his skill set that he was so active around the football and he was able to make plays on the ball? You know, uh, vision and hands being able to put those two together, you know, uh, and, and also that ability not to flinch, right? I mean, that, uh, that happens to a lot of DBs where, you know, they're in great position, but, um, at the end of the route, you know, there's that, there's that little bit of flinch, that, that trip, that slip, um, you know, he has the ability to play through the hands till the end of the play. 
very calm demeanor, you know, and that's what you want out of a, a corner. You know, very calm, very confident, uh, never, never loses his composure. So uh, when you have a guy like that who has the skill, but he has that uh, intensity, focus to finish the play, I think you got a good player. You know, there's a lot that goes into defending a pass. And I know that eyes and vision and hands, all that goes into it. Um, you know, with all of those pass defense, defense, you know, he had two interceptions. So I'm guessing that that's something he needs to work on a little bit more coming into the next level. Um, I also have noticed that he's actually a very, very good tackler, something you definitely need out of a cornerback in the National Football League. Um, Coach, tell me a little bit about what his best asset will be and what he definitely needs to be as a six-rounder. There's obviously things there that the team is looking to develop down the road. What are some of those things? Well, his best asset, like I said, is that he, he's he's going to uh, show up for work every day okay. with uh, the, the right attitude and and the right demeanor to learn. He's got you know, anytime you make the jump up, he's going to have a lot to learn. But he has that attitude. You know, you're going to everybody in the NFL is is great, right? So, uh, what'll separate him is is he has that that demeanor and that confidence to go to work every day, get better, to listen to what the coaches are teaching and um, and learn, you know, because his learning curve is is really good. I mean, he, he picks things up quickly, and uh, and you don't have to worry about him not not understanding understanding your coverages. Um, yeah, like you said, you know, what he'll need to work on in the NFL is um, uh, becoming uh, more productive in terms of the picks. Now, you know, you you. We put him in position, in press position a lot, you know, where you're just not going to get a lot of opportunities for interceptions. You know, sure. there's going to be a lot more um, position uh, times in the NFL where he's off, you know, where he's going to be uh, in more zone coverage, and he'll, he'll have the chance to greet the quarterback. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm confident he'll be able to pick that up, but he's going to have to, have to show that you know, from the jump, the ability to break on the ball from an off position rather than being up close all the time. Coach, one of the things that Jeff just hit on was the fact that he received a very high grade in terms of his tackling by Pro Football Focus. He was ranked actually fourth best in the FBS amongst corners. And as you can attest to in college and probably even more importantly at the NFL level, they expect those secondary players to assist in terms of stopping the run. How much has he grown in that area, and how unique is that for a player to at least be reliable and consistent in that department when you, to your point, really asked him to go out on an island and cover down the field? Yeah, whether it's in the NFL or college, right, um, offense are going to try to put your corners in, in position to make the tackle, you know, to be the extra guy where the ball is bounced to because they think they can win that matchup. And, and um, corners don't get to work on tackling a lot, but we, we – we placed an emphasis on it, and, and some guys are just natural, right? That, that uh, you know, you put them in press a lot, you put them out there, you say defend the pass, be on an island. You know, that's such a tough job, um, time-consuming in those techniques. And then you just have some guys that are naturals that, um, you know, they, they show no fear. They're, they're, they're willing to come up and get into the, get into the mix and, and, and the muck at the line of scrimmage, and, and that, that's, a, that's a fearless job. 
some guys just have it. You know, Rodarius has it. Uh, he, he, he's confident in his contact skills, and um, he's willing also to do it. Uh, coach, also being a six-round draft pick and a guy that's really um, has some things to work at and to compete to get on the field as a starter, you know, that's going to be very difficult in the first two years or what have you of his career. Um, therefore, that leads me to the special teams aspect because this is where he's going to have to really earn his, his keep. And what are some of the things that he did at, at Oklahoma State on special teams that would be able to help him uh, transition to the Giants this year? Yeah, he's... He, He's excellent in coverage, you know, uh, whether it's from a punt or kickoff standpoint. And he is, uh, you know, willing to do the work on punt return in order to defend the gunners or uh, play at the line of scrimmage. He's just, you know, a lot of times to me, special, you know, because everybody has the ability in the NFL, special teams comes down to willingness and attitude and capacity to learn the scheme, and he's got all of those. So I think he's going to make he's going to make an early impression in that in that area. Another aspect in developing a young player is the competition that they're going to go up against in practice every day. And you look at the Giants receiving core, they certainly have a lot of talent that they brought in via the draft as well as free agency and. He went up, I'm assuming, coach, against a guy like Tylen Wallace in practice every day who was just drafted by the Ravens in the fourth round. How much did that competition in practice prepare him for what the Big 12 really offered on a weekly basis when you're going up against some of the top offenses in all of college football? Yeah, you're going to see um, shot after shot, deep ball in the Big 12 all the time. It's constant, um, and, and particularly with our own offense in practice. So... Your point is right on. I mean, he went up against great receivers every day in practice and, and an offense that was going to try to take you deep all the time. You know, and that's, um, that's a tough job. I mean, you have to be on point every single play, and that improves your, your skills tremendously. So he's, he's a guy who likes to compete. You know, you don't have to ask him to get into a drill. He's always jumping up there, first in line. He's one of those guys, always wanting to go against the best, always wanting to get better. And um, I think I think he's going to be a great practice player. You know, Coach, one of the, one of the big things about um, you know the transition for players making it to the next level is to be able to have you know their character. And teams like to look at that. I, obviously, he seems to be a really nice young man, uh, very well mannered. I don't know much about his family life, but you know. I think that being invited to the Senior Bowl, the Giants were able to, you know, really get a chance to talk to him and, and speak with him. And really, with the COVID era, it's, it's very difficult um, this year because of just the, the limit that the players and the scouter, scouting departments had. Uh, how big was that for him to get invited to that Senior Bowl? And do you think it had a huge impact on him going to the Giants? I do. You know, I mean, we see the same challenges in recruiting in the COVID era. And I'm sure the NFL saw you just don't you just don't get to know guys as well on their right, personality. Right. So that was a that, that that was a chance for him for him to shine. Uh, there's there's only so much you can pick up on film. You know, coaches want to know what makes you tick. You know, what's your character? What are the things that drive you in life? And uh, you don't get to know that without getting you know, one-on-one. Plus, you got to go against some really good receivers too. 
Yeah, yeah, absolute great competition. And just, the, you know, the day-to-day of being around someone. But he's a he's an excellent young man, you know. He's tough uh, upbringing. He's overcome a lot. And like I said, he, he, he is always going to do the right thing. He's, he's and he's, he's quiet but confident and just, just like I said, he doesn't flinch in, in adverse situations and, and that's what you need in court. Well, and speaking of the senior bowl coach, as Jeff just mentioned, one of the things he said to the New York media after he was drafted that he felt good about the impression he left with the Giants and wasn't surprised at all that the Giants ultimately selected him. Um, Bringing that up, because I'm curious from your perspective, and you talked about how recruiting has changed so much during COVID, how much more interaction would you say you had perhaps with NFL teams during the draft process this year compared to previous years, mainly because of the fact that they weren't having the luxury and access to the players, so they needed to rely on more of feedback from you since you're around these guys all the time. Yeah, absolutely. A lot more phone calls. with the, the coaches and the scouts because th- there was only so much they could learn, you know, so there's a lot more phone calls up to the draft and during the draft, you know, I think everybody was, was, was working with a lot less information than they've had in the past. So uh, I felt like the college coaches were uh, more of the process than we had, than we had been. Coach, in terms of your other connections, I know we've been focusing on Radarius Williams, but interestingly, as I was reviewing your resume, before Oklahoma State, you were at Duke as the defensive coordinator, and the Giants have a quarterback that I believe you crossed paths with for a few years, his first three seasons in the league, and Daniel Jones from 2015 to 17. I know some time has passed since, and you've been focusing on other areas, but I'm curious what your interactions were like going up against Daniel Jones at practice every day, and what has ultimately become of him with this opportunity with the New York Giants? Yeah, your uh, play scout team quarterback so he uh he drove me crazy he he was was a guy yeah yeah i mean really as a true freshman which was the only time you know he was on uh, scout team as a true freshman i mean he put some balls in some places that were just uh outstanding you know i would look at coach cutcliffe and he's like yeah and i wanted to yell at the defense but um you know he just he showed right he showed right from the start um, his ability to place the ball where other people couldn't. Uh, his yeah, and then being around him for a couple of years, just to call you know, you know, and I was uh, at Ole Miss when Eli was there, so um, it was it was really 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 very similar guys. I mean, mm-hmm. quiet, quiet, confident, knowledgeable, you know. Always, always in control of their emotions and the situation. And um, you know, I was a huge fan of Eli, and, and, and the same with Daniel. You know, going against those guys every day in practice, you could, you know, every defense has a hole in it, and um, they were able, always able to find it. You know, and uh, and I and I remember uh, right when Eli got uh, ended up with the Giants, I, I I became the head coach at Cornell, so I was in New York. So a lot of people were obviously asking me about about him, and I said, you know, he'll, he will win you a Super Bowl if you give him time. You know, and I and uh, 
That turned out to be correct, but and, <laughs> and, I, and I feel I feel the same about Daniel because they're just that they're they're that guy that doesn't come along very often, who has incredible talent, but also knows how to um, manage uh, an offense and and handle the pressure because you know the pressure is something that can get everybody. In. And Daniel's a guy who, who always has balance and uh, is, is a student of the game, and, and he's a well, Coach, your soothsayer ways were on point, and my co-host Jeff Eagles is very thankful for your projections because he has a Super Bowl ring thanks to Eli Manning. So oh, yeah. you are on point. There you go. <laughs> there you go. He also go. got my number, too. I gave him number. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, gratefully. Right, I'm sure you were happy to do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, was, it, was, it worked out for the best, trust me. Yeah, it was good. I'm originally from Philly, Jeff, so... Oh, boy, okay. Yeah, so I, All right, I, I, cool. I'm, I'm from the area. We got a history there. That's right, so... Yeah, I wish those teams, when I was with the Eagles, I wish we were we had gone a little bit further in the uh, in the playoffs if we could because we were, had some good teams there. I just couldn't couldn't push it past that. But um, one, one last question for me about uh, Daniel Jones. You know, he's got an innate ability to really throw the deep ball, and... You know, coming in, a lot of people didn't really feel like he had just a, a great arm or this and that. But and he may not be have a great arm. But the fact is, he has really good touch on the ball. Has he always shown that able to throw the ball and have touch on the long ball? Absolutely. His first year, he was at Duke. Like I said on scouting, it was noticeable. You know, to be able to to hit that skinny post or the dig, you know, 20, 25 yards down the field with velocity and placement. You know, uh, where where only the receiver could catch it. I mean, you would shake your head sometimes. I would, you know. And as I'd be ripping the defense, I'd be like, deep down, I'd be like, wow, I hope we don't face a quarterback who can throw that ball. Because <laughs> a, lot of times, a, lot, a lot of times it was indefensible. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not an expert in arm strength, but I know going against him all the time, accuracy and um, – Velocity, the placement, um, you know, all, always is hard to defend, and he's got that. We're talking with Oklahoma State defensive coordinator Jim Knowles. Coach, before we let you go, you piqued my curiosity at the beginning, so I think this is a perfect way to circle back. You said that you called Radarius Williams Lele, if I heard you correct. I'm just curious how that nickname came about, and is that something that you think Giants fans will be open to calling him or he will be open to hearing on the next level? Yeah, I think so. I could I couldn't tell you how to came about. Like I said, he was he was here when I got here and he 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 has started every single game that I've been in Oklahoma State, so I don't really know uh what it's gonna what it's gonna be like without him, but uh, I knew I knew him I knew him from the start as Lee but I, I can't give you the history, but it might be something you guys wanna wanna hit him up with because um that's how he's known. You know, I don't think I've ever called him Rodarius one time. Well, that is a neat story, and we appreciate the intel because that will certainly be something that I guarantee you we will look into here moving forward during the course of his rookie campaign as Jim Knowles with us here on Giants.com, the Oklahoma State defensive coordinator who coached six-round pick Rodarius Williams for the last three seasons in college. Well, Coach, we can't thank you enough. We greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Best of luck in the upcoming season as well as the recruiting period, and we look forward to talking to you down the road. Thanks again. Thanks so very much, Jim. All right, thanks, guys. So that was Oklahoma State defensive coordinator Jim Knowles kind enough to weigh in on a variety of things pertaining to Giants sixth-round pick Radarius Williams. 
as we move on to some other topics throughout the course of the show. But before we do that, Jeff, let's react to what Jim Knowles had to say. And here's another example of an individual that was around Radarius Williams for a number of years. And he spoke very highly of his character. He spoke very highly of his skill set. And you know, the other thing that I thought was very interesting that he talked about was Williams' ability to get down and dirty and tackle which is mm-hmm. not something, Jeff, you see from all types of secondary players. You have to want to do that. And he did not shy away from that when they asked him to do that at Oklahoma State. They didn't. I think we're going to also be, begin to start calling him Lele. That's true. Yes, <laughs> I know? forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, and he said that he's never really ever – I don't think he's ever mentioned the name Rodarius. It's always been Lele. So, um, you know, and so his, his, his brother's name is Greedy, right? Greedy, is it um, – So we have Greedy and Lele. Lele, they run. yeah. Yes. Okay, that's fine. We'll go with that. <laughs> that's good. Um, yeah, as we were doing – as I was doing a little bit of a research uh, coming into the show and uh, reading some of the articles and just some of the scouting – uh, reports on him is was the tackling as I mentioned but the other good thing about him and by the way he's a big kid he's six foot so a corner that's that's a good thing he's got some good size to him he's 195 pounds so um you know he's able to be able to to come in and use his body to be able to tackle um a great characteristic out of a corner if you can get somebody to do it well the other thing that I read about him Lance was that he's able to really to get through and and almost um like if to take on a, uh, some some blockers, he'll he'll basically go down low and just kind of you know bulldoze them. Um, which a lot of guys, cornerbacks, they won't do that. They're just going to bounce off and then try to go tra- make the tackle. But he'll actually try to blow up the play, which is uh, it takes a lot of a lot of guts to do that sometimes with guys you know pulling around and you have linemen coming at you. So I think that's a good characteristic to have for him. So sounds like an exciting guy. Um, you know, what I liked about it, too, is his durability. We talked about it. he never missed yep. a game in college, four-year starter at Oklahoma State. That is, that's some good stuff. And I think that the reason that he was in the sixth round was the fact that he does have some things to clean up on. Um, you know, he's 4-5 speed, which isn't the fastest, but it's decent. Um, I think that he's, he has a knack for the football, but he just doesn't have a knack to catch it. And he hasn't been in a lot of situations. To, he has a lot of pass deflections, Lance, as you had mentioned, but um, I would like to see him go up and maybe try to get some more, some more interceptions and work on those skill set. And what a team to come to. Because these te- these coaches are all teachers, right? And that's what Joe Judge likes. And uh, to have a guy like this that – and most six-rounders, I don't care what position you play, sixth, seventh, fifth, sixth, seventh rounders, those are the guys that they're developmental guys. They're going to they're gonna play special teams. That's why I asked them. And I think that um, he's going to have to get his feet wet on that first. And then you, know, you never know. With injuries and things like that, you can be thrown into the starting lineup sooner or later. Well, especially with some seasons that we've seen where the Giants have lost some key personnel and then all of a sudden, to your point, you're turning to the back end of your depth chart for guys to step up. We saw that at key components of last season. For example, the Cam Browns and the Carter Coughlins got some time on the field as a result of some injuries and them trying to give them some experience. So it would not surprise me if Williams got some work that way, but the thing that you hit on with respect to special teams, it's going to be interesting because as we talk with Jim Knowles about, they didn't really ask him to do a lot of special teams work mm-hmm. at Oklahoma State, mainly because he was a starter on defense. And when you're a starter getting that many snaps on defense, you try to limit the workload. But the fact that, as we just talked about, Jeff, if you embrace tackling, if you embrace the physicality of the sport, I would think those attributes – work in your favor if sure. they're then going to ask you to start out on special teams and you got to run down the field and you have to find the right lane 
that's a good trait to have so that this way they can always teach a technique, but you have to have the desire, and that I think is a good foundation for him. Well, yeah, I think the desire is, and he's got all that. I mean, we heard it from his coach that uh, he's a guy that just, you know, he's going to, he's a worker. Um, but, you know, the good thing about him is being a defensive player, you know, a lot of times you kind of you sit there and go, well, how do these how do these receivers play special teams when they're receivers? They're not defensive guys making tackles. It's it's amazing to me that these guys are such great football players and great athletes. They'll, they'll, all, they'll all tackle. You know, wide receivers can go down and, you know, and tackle. Look at some of the, the back end of the receiver core from the last few years. They're all big core special teams guys, so they can make plays. Dwayne they Harris, can, for example, would be exactly, one Exactly. Yep. There you go. Yeah, so um, – and – being a big corner, a six-foot cornerback is a great position to be on uh, the hold-up team for punt return, you know, out there on the outside trying to hold up those gunners. Um, that's a good position for him. He's a, a speedy guy, a 4-5. I see him probably playing, you know, in the in the 1, 2, or 3 on the kickoff team, which you st- we, in the kickoff team for everybody, you start from the inside out. So you got five on each side. So you got five, four, three, two, one. So the 1 is the safety, the 2 is the next guy, the 3 is the next guy, 4 and 5, and he's the closest to the kicker. So, um, and usually your cornerbacks and safeties are the 1, 2, and the 3s. And those, you know, they go down there because they don't have to take on too many blocks and they're they're very agile and they can go make some tackles so um it's going to be important for him and lance i tell everybody all the time if those guys would just give me five minutes with each one of them uh the rookies especially all of them and just let them understand that hey unless you're the first rounder or the second rounder uh you're going to be your butt's going to be on special teams and it's going to be hard for you to break into this lineup unless something happens but you know you're going to need to play special teams so Put that special teams playbook on top of the other one because that's the one you need to learn first. <laughs> because if you know that upside down, yes. inside out, then that's certainly going to bode well in terms of your chances to make it the team. And that's why, not to get completely off topic, but another draft pick in this class, Gary Brightwell, the running back out of Arizona, oh, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, he's extremely appealing because here's somebody that contributed to all four special teams units. And loves to play it, and sure. and and was when when the Giants drafted him on draft day. The first one of the few things, the first things he said was that I love to play special teams, and I, I mean, I loved it. I think you remember when we were going over it. I just, I was so excited. So I'm also excited to see how he can contribute and how he'll play. So as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, Friday's edition, a reminder that limited giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit giants.com slash suites for more information. And remember, let's all get vaccinated. Go to covid19.nj.gov slash vaccine to register. One other item that I wanted to get to that Jim Knowles talked about before we move on to topics related to the OTA that was open to the media on Thursday is his connection to Daniel Jones, which we talked about at the latter Mm -hmm. part of the interview because he did spend a few years at Duke. And it's always interesting to hear stories about a quarterback at the young aspect or the early stage of his development because he said when he was there, Daniel Jones was the scout quarterback. So he would help get his defensive unit ready for games. And he (laughs) talked about what a pain in the butt it was to go up against Daniel Jones because he wanted to scream and yell at his defense for not making plays, but more often than not, he just had to simply tip his cap to Daniel Jones for making a very <laughs> impressive throw. 
Well, I mean, you could see the progression of Daniel Jones. It started at an early age and just kind of kept through and going through. And, you know, he had to buy his time. And uh, I think a lot of people knew he was going to be a good one when he starts picking apart a, uh, a defense like the Duke's defense at a young age like that. So I, I think that it's funny because, um, you know, the coach really enjoyed when you went when you asked him about Duke, he kind of lit up a little bit with Daniel Jones. Yeah. It was kind of fun to, to listen to him talk about him. Yeah, it was fun to hear him reminisce because yeah. I, I think it brought him back to sure. memories where, you know, you see a player at the early stage once again, and now you see where the player is with respect to the New York Giants. And I think also, once again, this is my interpretation, but I think he lit up a little bit when talking about Radarius Williams because one of the things that he said was it's going to be unusual to not have him out on the field, right, at Oklahoma <laughs> State as they get set for spring practices because think about this. When he took over in 2018 as D.C., he knew, hey, I've got a reliable corner on the outside, Jeff, that I could turn to mm-hmm. every single game. When you're yeah. a coach and you lose a player like that, you basically lose a security blanket. And then when all yeah. of a sudden you have to pick up the pieces, it's not surprising that even the most established coaches are a little bit lost in the early goings because they're like, oh, my God, who's going to take his place? Yeah, it gets – um yeah, I tell you what, you get you lose. Not only do you you lose a little sleep over that too, Indeed, you know. Yes. So, <laughs> and you kind of hope that you're the through the recruiting that you've gone out and got somebody that's gonna you know be as good. Or, um, but it's important those covers, you know, corners backs playing man coverage, very very difficult. Not only at the college level but at the pro level, and um, you know that's why you you really hope you have a good set of safeties back there to help you when you're playing a lot of man coverage. Because if you don't take care of business, then you are truly out on an island and Goodbye. there's nobody going to be there to save your behind. Yep. I think that's the best way to sum things up. Lance Meadow, Jeff Eagles with you here on Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. So we thank Jim Knowles for weighing in on several topics pertaining to one of the Giants members of the draft class from the later round, sixth round to be exact. And now let's transition to... The OTAs as we get set to get a feel for what this team is going to be about, but also get a feel for, Jeff, a Joe Judge offseason, right? Because this time last year, Joe Judge didn't have access to his team on the field. It was all virtual. So this is really the first go-around of how OTA is structured, what he looks to get out of his players. Now, keep in mind, there is no contact during this period. We're now in phase three. We just continually need to remind our listeners of that. And number two, we're not going to go over the roster sheet about who was there and who wasn't there. It's not Jeff and I's job to take attendance, nor is it anybody else's job because it's a voluntary stage. But Joe Judge did speak to the media. And one of my takeaways, Jeff, was what he wants to get out of OTAs and mandatory minicamp. And it seemed to me that there was a big focus on individual development as opposed to worrying about fostering competition between the offense and the defense. He really wants his coaches to get hands-on opportunities with the young guys as well as the vets and focus on fine-tuning technique so that when they get ready for training camp, you feel as if you have a relatively strong foundation. Yeah, no question. And, and remember this, okay? So obviously the, the Giants, the veterans from last year, they had the whole season together, so that was good, right? Sure. But the way that this offseason worked and with the draft and, and COVID and limited contact and things like that, these coaches are, are giddy to have these guys here for these OTAs, the, the young guys, um, because this is really a, the first chance that they've actually had to, 
to really work these guys out and, and really kind of dig deep into their bag of tricks, if you will, and see what they got. Um, and as far as development, this is you come out of OTAs and now you know you got a little bit of a hit list, a kind of a checklist, I would say, that would, what things that you want to accomplish going into training camp with some of your younger players. And I feel like, you know, there's times where there are players that you you thought a lot about and then they're, they're just, you know, they're not as good as you thought they were and vice versa. So, but for me... And from what I remember, OTAs, um, especially for just in my, in, in for my, what I would come into OTAs, it was just all about getting back in shape. It was all about getting in football shape, getting my leg in shape to be able to kick 50 balls, to be able to, you know, get the endurance to go through the practice and things like that. That's what these guys are doing. They're getting ready for football. And the Giants coaches are excited to have them there because it's the first time that they've been able to work with some of these guys in a capacity where they're two hours on the field. That's amazing to them. Well, I'm glad you brought up sort of building up your body, Jeff, because I think that gets overlooked. We look at OTAs as an opportunity for players to get acclimated with the schemes, especially if they're new to the team and getting used to their teammates. But I think the other important aspect is, especially since every player is different, right, in terms of the path they choose to get set for training camp, that if some players use this time wisely and don't overdo it because they realize that there's going to be a span of weeks dividing this period from the start of training camp, and then all of a sudden in training camp you put the pads on, you don't want that to be a rude awakening where your body is sort of like put in a state of shock. Oh, my <laughs> God. So I think that's why this period is so important. And even Joe Judge talked about that, that you know he and his coaching staff, the medical team, they're smart. They're not looking to overwork the players. Everybody's on a different stage in terms of where they are in their recovery from the previous season. Some of the college guys, remember, Jeff, didn't play nearly as many games as a typical year because of COVID. So, you know, they have to be very cautious of that, and players need to be responsible as they get set to approach training camp. Yeah, and the tough part about it is you go through in these phases, right? So, And they change all the time. I mean, year to year, there's a little bit different. You, you kind of tweak things. They didn't do you know, years ago, we had seven, 16 weeks of training. That was the off-season training. And then we had a mini camp, and we didn't have OTAs. Well, then they bring OTAs in, and they cut back on the off-season, the, the training. I, what happens here, Lance, is that you go through all these, you get ready to go, and then there's a five-week break. <laughs> so yep. that's, the, that's, the tough, that's the tough part, and that's what I found very difficult. Um, and it's not that I wasn't working out or anything. It was just going away from football. And by the way, you want to, it's, it's a nice reprieve because you've got to get your mind and your body ready and mentally to go for the next 20, 22 weeks in a row of, of football. So that break, you need it because you got to get ready, ready to go. But you got to make sure you stay in shape. The, the problem is, is not everybody does. And here's the kicker. And I don't know if they do these anymore. I, I, I'm, I'm guessing they don't just because of injuries. But we always had the conditioning test. Oh, yeah. They still do that. Yeah. Okay. All right. They better. Because, man, I'll tell yeah. you what. Those were the worst. I mean, <laughs> I had a litany of all of them that I went through. You name any conditioning test, I did it. Okay. Um, the 880, the 300-yard uh, the shuttle, the 16 110s, you name it. We did it. And so you would, you would train for that stupid test. And then you come back, and there were guys that were nervous as heck because if you didn't, if you didn't make the test, you had to run it again. So um, even, you know, like the 16 110s that we would run, if you come in, you ran 15 of them, and the 16th one you didn't make, you didn't have, You got to run the next day. You got to do it all over again. Wow. So, um, but the guys, you know, they do that conditioning test because they make those guys work out 
for those five weeks that they're gone, not to just to, um, you know, while you're gone, that everything you did up to that point is just a waste. So, you know, part of it's conditioning, part of it's getting your, your body ready to go. And, you know, most of these guys are well-trained and, and they, they do things a lot different than the old days. So a lot of them do come back in pretty good shape. Well, and I would think a player such as Ellerson Smith, for example, Jeff. Okay. okay, here's a guy who had his season canceled. They didn't have football in the fall, so he chose to then focus on the draft. So Ellerson Smith hasn't put the pads on in a game situation since 2019. Now, that's a long time. Now, I'm not saying that Ellerson Smith hasn't been working out, but if I'm the coaching staff, the reason why I'm excited about getting somebody like him on the field is – Number one, you actually get a look of him on the field, which has been quite some time, right? Because the last game film you looked at was, once again, 2019. But also, I think he'll then get a feel for what he has to do, to your point, Jeff, in the weeks now, once they finish up mandatory minicamp till training camp, about what he needs to focus on so that he doesn't put himself in a position where, God forbid, he suffers an injury or a soft tissue injury specifically because those are the worst. You suffer that early in training camp, and we've seen it with, unfortunately, previous oh, Giants players. Right? Yeah, I mean, you miss out on the majority of camp, and then before you know it, it's week one, and you've been buried on the depth chart because so many other guys got out on the field. Yeah, and some guys you get buried on the uh... – you know, injury settlement. <laughs> Goodbye. Well, of course, especially ones on the back burner of the <laughs> yeah. roster. Yeah. And so that is, um, that's just the, the ins and outs of the business. And that's, um, you know, you can't uh, make the club in the tub, they say, you know. So, <laughs> and you got to be careful. I think that, you know, unfortunately, injuries happen. Um, but for these young guys, it's important for them to, to stay healthy and, and do the right things that they need to do. I, I think that, you know, college football and the big, the guys coming out of division one, you know, big, big football programs, uh, their training is year round. I know it from what my son does. And so it's, it's, it's not a chance that they don't get a lot of time off. So they're working out, they're working out. The problem you have, Lance, is that when you get to this level, uh, there is no, and nobody holding your hand anymore. Yep. You know, so you're going to have to motivate yourself and be able to, to do the things that the team wants you to do on your own. You have to be well-disciplined. You do, like, yeah. because you got to do it when there's nobody watching you. And so, you know, you can cut corners all you want, but, you know, the more you cut, the more chances you're going to get cut. So I think you got to be able to understand what you got to do, how, when you got to do it, and come in and impress them as coaches when you first get here. I will tell you this. Rookies, they've got to do everything they can to impress these coaches because they, their coaches really – they don't really care much about the rookies. I'm telling you, they're 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 all about winning, and they're going to win with veterans, and you're going to win with some rookies. Okay, you just have to do it. But um, they they don't have much time for them, and so you know if if we got a guy that comes in here and just doesn't want to study and doesn't want to do things right, then they're not going to give him the time of day, and before you know it, he'll be gone. It's the way it works. It's a rude awakening. Life comes it at is. you fast in the NFL. It does. It does. <laughs> and um, and I I mean. A majority of the guys, Lance, don't have to worry about that because they all are overachievers. They're all guys with good work ethics. Um, but there are a few of them that, you know, and I find like, you know, sometimes it's even the first rounders. They, they get all that money and they just don't want to work anymore. And the next thing you know, they're out of the league in three or four years. Because all of a sudden, the rest of the talent pool catches up to you. See, yeah. if you don't stay ahead of the curve... You can only get by with your talent alone for so long because the other guys who were behind you when they entered the league, if they continue to work every offseason, eventually they're going to close that gap. Yeah, and what's really crazy about it is, that, you know, you go from a senior or a junior for most of these guys in college, 
um, where they're the, you know, they're the, the, the main man. They're the big big guys on campus, and all of a sudden now they come into the NFL, and now once again they're they're rookies. They're they're they got to start all over again. They yeah. got to start all over again. So <laughs> it's a rude awakening, and and now it's a business. And now you're walking into a locker room where you've been watching these guys on Sunday play for a living, and um, there's an off factor. Trust me, there's a lot of guys walking into that locker room looking at Saquon Barkley, going, "Wow, that's Saquon Barkley. Wow, that's Daniel Jones. Seriously, oh man, that you know, they're starstruck. They'll get over it, but you know, at first they're a little starstruck. I mean, I'm sure that people were very starstruck when they saw me come in. Oh, know? that goes without saying. I mean, I Absolutely. was starstruck when I started working with oh, you, so definitely. I can at least admit that. You're over it now, though, right, Lance? You're it over it now? It took me a few years, though. <laughs> it wasn't even halfway through the first season, Jeff. It took me a few years. Okay, well, we're... Before we're, it settled in. Good. Yes. I'm glad that we're, we're way past that now. <laughs> well, you know what? You, you got me thinking, just out of curiosity, because of the path that you took. When you arrived in your first NFL locker room, were you a bit starstruck with oh some my of the God, guys yeah. that were around you? I was terrified more than starstruck. <laughs> I was terrified because, um, you know, here are these, these guys, like I said, you watch them on Sundays and, and you walk in and this is a professional locker room and these are grown men now, okay? These are guys in their 20s, their 30s. No one was in their 40s, but these are grown men with families and this is the NFL and I was terrified, absolutely terrified. I just had to... I just had to kind of, you know, keep to myself and just do what I had to do, you know. <laughs> and I think I've told you this story before, but uh, maybe somebody, some of you guys have not heard this before. But, you know, when I was a rookie, uh, Andre Tippett, number 56 for the New England Patriots back in the day, was uh, a very – an amazing football player and a guy that I was so afraid. I wouldn't – I would go – I wouldn't even go near him. I was just <laughs> terrified of this guy. And the reason why was because – you know, we had camaraderie night on Thursdays where everybody went out. We went to these a local pub somewhere and had some beers and wings, and everybody just kind of hung out and had a good time. And um, and the rookies had to pay for the bill. But Andre Tippett would, would pick up the tab, and then he would divide it over. There were seven of us, I think, that year. Seven rookies divided by whatever the the bill was. And then I had to write a check and give it to Listen, that that's back in the day when you wrote checks, right? So I had to write a check to and give it to Andre Tippett. And I'll never forget, I forgot my checkbook on Wednesday because Wednesday is when you had to pay for the following week. And I, I thought the guy was going to eat me for lunch. I mean, I was uh, – Mr. Tippett, I'm, I'm sorry. I'll have it here first thing in the morning. And he was just totally messing with me. He's like, that's not, that's not acceptable, son. You're going to need to go home after this and grab the thing. I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know? <laughs> and you're you shaking know? in your boots meanwhile, and he's just trying well, to get the better of you, essentially. He, he, was a black, he was a black belt in karate, too. So, jeez, you know. Yeah. Anyways. Those, so it is a little intimidating for these guys coming into the locker room for the first time, these OTAs, and um, getting to know these people. But soon enough, they'll, uh, they'll realize they're just human beings. They're just people like you and me, and everybody's got a job to do. No doubt about it. Speaking of going down memory lane, actually, see, now you're giving me more material, Jeff, and I don't know if this is good or bad, but I forgot to bring this up to you, and I don't think anybody else has brought this up to you, so I know I'm putting you a little bit on the spot. My first question is, we recently had a guest on the show to talk about one of the Giants draft picks. Oh, was it brought up to you? It was brought up to me. John brought this up to me, Randy Shannon, right? damn. I thought I was going to be the first one on the spot. Yeah, no. Okay, so you were ready. He asked you about the building then, too? Yeah, I brought in 36, yeah. Yeah. Man, I thought, uh, you know, I'd get the good stuff out of you. Did, 
did he tell you anything about 36? No. He just said, when you speak to Jeff, ask him about building 36. And we were intrigued. We were like, okay, the next time we have Jeff on. And all this time has gone by, and I don't think I've done a show with you since. No. So that's why well, I figured I'll, I'll, we would. I'll quickly tell you, because I, I, John did ask me about it. And um, so building 36 was the, was the football apartments where the whole football team stayed. Um, on-campus housing. Building 36. I was in 36Q. Um, I don't remember where Randy, I think he might have been. I don't, anyways, but it was quite the scene, Lance. 36 <laughs> was quite the scene. Uh, you can imagine, you know, they've done 30 for 30s on that era of football. Oh, well, they have. <laughs> so you can imagine, uh, you know, 100 or so guys living in one apartment complex. Really? Seriously? Did they do that back then? They did. They don't do it anymore. <laughs> they're, they're, they're smarter <laughs> than that. But I, it was it was a scene. Uh, and and I told you this before, and I told all these guys that I, I don't know how when these guys went to bed. I don't know when they went to school. I don't know what the heck they were doing. But all I know is I went to bed on time. I went to school. In fact, there were times I was in the classroom asking myself, where are the other players? Where are these guys? Do they go to school? <laughs> <laughs> but we won a lot of football games, Oh, though. you did indeed, <laughs> yes. And you had a lot of personality on those teams, too, which yes, I don't need did. to attest to because you can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And my quick quick story is that um, my girlfriend at the time, who is my wife now, was uh, visiting, and um, we were playing Oklahoma, or not? We were going to Oklahoma. I don't know what it was, but Jimmy put a curfew on us, which was very rare. And uh, and my girlfriend was actually staying with me. Um, and my wife, I say the girlfriend. This sounds so funny. <laughs> well, you're going that. back in the day. Yeah. So, so yes. and. Um, she was so paranoid that, that I was going to get caught for having somebody in the room, you know, when they, cause they come in, they actually check the rooms. Um, so she was like under the covers and, you know, in the bed, you know, and pillows on top. Like I had just made my bed or something. It was hilarious, but, um, I can't imagine those coaches. In fact, I know all of them still, a lot of them are still coaching the NFL today. And I could write a whole book about building 36, you know, it's, it's like area 57. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we at least covered it a little bit. I know you had mentioned it to John, but I forgot because I didn't have any chance to run it by you. So I'm glad that we at least got some reminiscing out of you in terms of your Miami days, as well as a little Patriots show and tell in terms of Andre Tippett in the late 80s, your first pit stop in the National Football League. But we're also focusing on the present day New York Giants, of course. Let's get back there. Yes, we were focusing on what Joe Judge had to say about his outlook for OTAs. The other thing that I thought was interesting, he was asked about, Jeff, all of the running backs that they recently added to the roster, whether it be Corey Clement, whether it be Raquel Armstead, who they claimed off of waivers. And this was the first time that we've chatted with him since they added to the depth chart. And There were two things he brought up why he likes adding running backs to the roster. Number one, of course, is the most obvious, which is depth. Okay, we get that. But the other thing he talked about, which I found interesting, was he said it's important to have different body types on the roster to cater to the offense. And well, my interpretation of that is you want to have a third down back. You want to have a big bruiser. You want to have a guy that can contribute on special teams. So when you look at all of these running backs that they've added recently, I don't think it's a coincidence, Jeff, that they're not all cut from the same cloth. They're various backgrounds and also various physiques. And I think there is a big rationale based on what Joe Judd said as to why they went in that direction. He also mentioned the kicking game, you know? Sure. So- uh, it was a big part of it, but yeah, I mean, you look at Corey Clement and 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 Booker, and you know they're 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 all different different size and shapes, and 
you got to plug them into different plays. So um, it's important. I think the biggest to me, uh, I think that all matters. But to me, it's it's about it's about depth and it's about what what Saquon and how he's going to be. Um, and just reading into it for some of the articles that we we read about these days saying that, you know, there's a possibility that Saquon may or may not be ready for training camp, this and that. You know, if you're the Giants, you know, why would you want to push this guy along? You know, so you want to be able to have these guys that have played in the league. They're, they are veterans. Um, and then take a look at some of the younger guys on special teams. But, um, yeah, I think it was it's interesting. It's kind of funny how he led into it. They brought a guy. They brought this guy in. They brought two receivers and four running backs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a lot. That is a lot. Um you know, will they keep all four of them? No, but they're going to get a chance to compete against each other. Well, it will be interesting to see how many they do keep because I think a lot will depend on what you alluded to. Mm-hmm. Where is Saquon once the season starts, right? Yeah. Is he ready to go? Do they need to have extra insurance? That's going to dictate it. Number two is going to be on who contributes on special teams. You know that's going to be a huge factor. And then I think the other thing will be, which we talked about on Thursday's program, what's the practice squad like? How many guys can you retain? How many veterans could you put on the practice squad? Who can you afford to pass through waivers? So those are the three factors I think that's going to dictate. And then I'll add one other layer to this, Jeff. Okay. Not that you have to keep him as part of the running back, because I know when the Giants lay out the roster, the 53-man roster, they usually keep the fullback separate. But yeah, yeah. Eli Penny, if you keep him, can you get away with three RBs and then the one fullback? Or do you want four running backs and Eli Penny? I think that's another area to at least consider when you evaluate how many they're going to keep. Yeah, it's all a numbers game. Yeah. Um, and I think that, like you said, Lance, it just depends on um, the type of running backs that they are and what, what plays and what situations. And uh, it's, 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 they have a plan. They're all here for it, but, um, you know, Eli Penny, is, can he play better than the second or third running back for them to keep him? That's that's usually what ha- ends up happening, you know? So um, these guys get, like, like it's, it's a broken record, Lance. They have to play special teams. They've got to show these, these guys that they can do multiple things to be able to make the football team. And, you know, if you're just a guy that can just run – on first and second down and third down and not play special teams, you got a hard you got a you got a tough road to go at, at one of those number three or number four running backs. Well, because that doesn't separate you from the pack. Everybody could pretty much play first and second down if asked sure. to do that. Yeah. The question is, can you contribute on third down and what could you do on special teams? Plus, all these guys should know, forget the fifty three man roster. Jeff, if you want to get a jersey on game day, if you want to be one of the forty six guys You better contribute on special teams. The story I love to tell, not to get off topic, but it relates to recent history. If you remember, Jeff, Leon Hall made the roster late. He was added right as training camp started, the veteran defensive back. This was actually 2016, the last time they made the playoffs. And there was a stretch of the season where he was inactive. And everybody was wondering, why is Leon Hall a healthy scratch? What's going on here? We're talking about a veteran defensive back, right? Well, the reason was Leon Hall didn't play special teams. So Mm -hmm. even a veteran can wind up being a spectator as a result of that. Absolutely. Uh, it just it cuts your chances down of making the team. And uh, you know what they say, the more you can do, right? Yep. Um, and that's just the way the game, and especially with this team, because this team requires you to do more than just one thing. So you're not going to be on this team um, and play you know, other than the quarterback or, you know, guys like that, but, you know, kickers, punters. But you got to be able to, to be able to participate in, the, the one-third of the game that no one ever really likes to talk about, and that's the kicking game because it's very, very important, and you got to have athletes on that too. 
Funniest line from the media session goes to Blake Martinez as we talk about some of the new arrivals. He was asked about Danny Shelton, who, by the way, is a guy to keep close (laughs) tabs on because with Dalvin Tomlinson out of the picture, Danny Shelton, a nose tackle, is somebody who is probably going to be called upon, at least on the early downs. So when Blake was asked about Danny Shelton, he said, quote, Oh, yeah, I was joking about that the other day. No wonder he was drafted in the first round. You get three <laughs> picks in one, just how big he is. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, quote. it's a big boy. And he, oh, also yeah. sa- he also said that, you know, he can't see double teams, so that means that they can't see him either. That's right. So that's important. <laughs> that's really good because those linebackers, they, they just cannot stand those linemen coming up and just getting their big claws on them and just, you know, ragdolling them. So uh, although Blake Martinez has a – a really good knack for the football, as we know. Um, it'll be interesting to see who that other linebacker is this year along the side of Break Martinez. Is it going to be Ragland? Who is it going to be, you know? Well, he does have a knack for getting to the opposition because he has a knack for finding the holes. So now yeah. he doesn't have to worry about finding the holes. He just sure. needs to find a way to get around Danny Shelton so he could get to the holes. I think that's probably his biggest challenge based on what Blake was saying. The other thing to note, just to provide some perspective, in case you haven't looked at Danny Shelton's measurements recently, he's listed <laughs> at 6'2", 345. When I saw those measurements, <laughs> I was reminded of Jeff. You remember when Sean Rogers was on the uh-huh. Giants? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Came, came from uh, Green Bay, right? Yeah, he's been around the league. Yeah. He was with a variety of teams. Yeah, also, him. was in the division in Detroit as well. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Danny Shelton, who actually played for the Lions too. So Rogers was listed at 6'4", 350. So Danny's actually smaller than Sean Rogers, but <laughs> he's still a presence. I think you yeah. catch my drift. Yep, it's just that legitimate two-gapper, they call them. Those big, big guys that just sit there and they just, you know, like they're like manatees in the water. They just, they don't move <laughs> far. They just kind of sit there and take up space, you know. It's, yeah. uh, it's fun to watch. And, and Blake Martinez appreciates the job that those guys do. It makes, him, makes his job easier. Well, in all seriousness, I think what Blake was spelling out was those are the guys, they don't show up in the box score. They don't get a lot of stats, right? They don't make the highlights. But oh, yeah. what they do opens up opportunities for Blake and opens up opportunities for the guys on the edge who are rushing after the quarterback. 100%. And that's the, you know, that's a, I, I mentioned it um, to you about the fact that, you know, with Aziz, that hopefully, you know, this way with the two guys in the, in the middle and Shelton um, will occupy some space and, and those linemen are not going to have to double team uh, Ojolari and he can get some pressure on the quarterback because you know Leo is going to do it. Um, he's going to get some sacks and they're going to they're going to really pay attention to him, which will free up some of these other guys to make some plays. Last thing that I wanted to point out out of OTAs, Daniel Jones did speak to the media and he was asked about the offseason additions and whether or not he was pleased with what the Giants did because a lot of the commentary was they brought in talent to surround him. And he certainly said that he was excited. I don't think any quarterback wouldn't be excited in his position, but. I think he brought up a good point, and this is something that we've echoed on this program. Yes, it's a very important year for Daniel Jones. I don't think anybody, Jeff, is going to dispute that. But he also mentioned that sometimes we need to state the obvious. There are 11 guys on offense, including himself. And what the 10 other guys do is going to dictate a lot about what Daniel Jones can do this season. Yes, his decision-making, what he does with the ball, how he protects the football. Okay, that's in his hands. But... The other guys in the trenches up front is going to determine how much of a challenge he faces in protecting the football, and then the guys down the field in winning their battles and getting open. So what we can't lose track of is, yes, 
critical year for Daniel Jones, but I think he did bring some perspective to light by saying, at the end of the day, remember, there's 10 other guys on offense, and we can't lose sight of that. Yeah, and I think it's just, it's just everybody, the media, really trying to get excited about the people that they did bring in here because, you know what, at the very beginning of the offseason, uh, what did Dave Gettleman say? We need playmakers. And he, when they went out and got him some playmakers, I, Kadarius Tony is going to be a fun person to watch. Uh, we, we know what Galladay can do. Um, and, you know, I think that's just, to be honest with you, um, I, I, he said that he didn't really pay much attention to it. I, I think that that's just speaking to the media because if I'm Daniel Jones, I'm sitting at home, I'm, I'm chomping at the bit knowing that I got, I got these, I got Saquon coming back sooner or later. I got these, these guys uh, that I just mentioned. Um, I've got an offensive line that's, that's supposedly getting better. Um, and I've got a, I've got an all pro tight end that they just signed here. Um, and that's, that's, that makes me, that puts a little pressure on me. I, I gotta, I gotta get it done. And uh, I think a lot of people are, are hoping that, that he comes out and really has an outstanding season because the, he needs to play well. And I think the biggest thing with Daniel Jones, the point of emphasis has always been with Daniel Jones is turning the football over. If yeah. he can eliminate that, you know, and, and understand that just, just get the ball to these guys and let them make some plays and don't force things, you'll be okay. Take what the defense gives you and also salvage possessions. And what I mean by that is with all the turnovers they had – Think about how many lost opportunities that Giants offense had last season. You know, people point to 17.5 points per game, which was 31st in the NFL. Hey, that's bad no matter how you want to spin it. (laughs) But the bottom line is, while they had missed opportunities and they didn't execute always in the red zone, another big reason why they only had 17.5 points per game is, think about the times they started with the football and then didn't see the drive carried through because it was interrupted as a result of a turnover. So you clean that up. You then walk away with, you know, maybe an additional field goal opportunity, an additional mm-hmm. red zone possession. And that's when all of a sudden you get 17 and a half points up to maybe 22, 23 points. And that's the difference between winning and losing a few additional games. So that to me is absolutely something to keep close tabs on and watch closely. So I agree wholeheartedly with you there, Jeff. You brought up Kadarius Tony, and that is a beautiful segue as we look to wrap up shop to answer a few mailbag questions. Of course, we were pre-recording shows all this week, so no phone calls, but we appreciate everybody for sending in questions through our Giants.com mailbag as well as hashtag Giants chat. And Greg in New Jersey poses a question about Kadarius Tony. So he writes, with Kadarius Tony adding another weapon to the improved receiving core, when will we see the most of Tony, considering the starting receivers are Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, and Darius Slayton? Do you see the Giants perhaps trading Shepard or Slayton as the season goes on if Tony outperforms them? <laughs> so now, now we're going to start trading, guys. <laughs> so now we have too much talent is what some fans are saying, right? We went from not enough to now an overwhelming amount of yeah. talent. Nah, you don't need them. Just get rid of them. Now. Yeah. No, the answer is there's no trading. Uh, there's not. That's not going to happen. I think that the Giants have just, you know, they've helped themselves. The fact that they know that Sterling Shepard has a problem making it through the season healthy. Um, so, you know, the, all the depth you can have is good. Um, where will we see Kadarius Tony? We will see Kadarius Tony uh, every week of the season as he's healthy and uh, set situational stuff. He's going to have his own playbook. They're going to get him to ball. Just, and if you go back and look at some of the Florida tape, you're going to see plays designed exactly like he ran them in, in, at the University of Florida. And, um, you know, that's, that's, you're going to see it. And if does he move into a starting role this year? 
remember this, guys. He's still a rookie. Okay, I know. I know he's a first-round draft pick, and he's gonna play a lot. But you, it's gonna be tough to to you know to come in and play in front of those three guys that you mentioned because those are the starters. Now, can it happen? A hundred percent, it can happen. Um, but I feel like Kadarius Tony is not a guy you want on the outside as a receiver, um, like like Darius Slayton. You know, so I think that you'll they'll situationally use him, but he's gonna be on the field a lot. You're gonna get to see him play quite a bit. And I also think as the season progresses, Jeff, like any young player, you'll see more and more of him. So don't be surprised if they pick their spots early in the season, right? And maybe they have a play built in where he throws the ball, a few plays out of the backfield, some short screens where they try to get him out in open space. And then, of course, let's not forget, they're probably going to use him as a punt returner on special teams. He's going to be part of the return game, or at least one of the guys that they may rotate within the mix there. But I wouldn't be surprised that the way we look look at Tony's involvement, Jeff, in let's say week nine or week 10 is probably going to be very different than what we see out of him in week one and week two. That's just the natural progression of a young player. A hundred percent. And I think that, you know, when you look at the way he is as far as a playmaker and making guys miss and, and yards after contact, you know, he, he thrives in that, in that area. What does that send to? That's, that's punt return. That has punt return and kickoff return all over it, you know, because if uh, if you don't think that the starting cornerbacks and linebackers can tackle him on a on a day to day basis in a, in regular uh, defensive plays, well, the special teams guys, those are all your backups. Do you, what do you think the chances of those guys tackling him? So I'm excited more than anything to watch him break some punt returns. Um, I, I I just can't wait to watch this guy play. It's going to be so much fun. Because when the Giants had some special teams units that posed a danger to the opposition. Just think about how much that helped in field position. I brought up Dwayne Harris's name earlier. You know, Harris was a lightning rod when they had him because he did just about everything for them. And when all of a sudden he had a good return and your quarterback is going to start maybe at the 35-yard line, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, that's a difference between maybe having a field goal attempt versus having to punt the football. So don't overlook the impact that Tony could have as a return man, which therefore helps the offense, as opposed to him going out and catching five or six balls each and every game in the early stages of the season. Let's try to squeeze in another mailbag question. This comes from Patrick in California, and Jeff, this has to do with the opposite side of the ball. Will the defensive pass rush improve? Will the Giants play a 3-4 or a 4-3 or go back and forth? (laughs) <laughs> well, as much as Paul Dettino would love for Patrick Grant to play a 4-3, their base defense is a 3-4. They will continue to stay with that because you look at the linebackers they have in that room, it's a lot of them. Um, and so for them to go back to a 4-3, it doesn't make sense. Um, you know, will this defense get pressure on the quarterback? I hope so. I mean, listen, you went out and you got a second-round draft pick that was the best, no doubt, the best pass rusher in this class. Um, so he should put some pressure. You got you got Leonard Williams coming back. So um, you did you know you lost Tomlinson. He's not so much of a a threat to to sack the quarterback, but he also commanded some attention there in the middle that helped free up some other guys. So I, I believe it will. I think that um, in a second year in this system uh, for these guys and even. Uh, Aziz Ojolari can come in and he's a smart kid. He can come in and pick up the system that Patrick Graham is going to put together. So the answer to that question is 100%. I think the pass rush is going to be better. It has to be better. Um, But second of all, I think that they will stick with the three, four. 
Yeah, the three four will obviously be the base as you mentioned, and then there's going to be some matchups, which is dictated by the offensive personnel, where Patrick Graham will have four man fronts. He did show that last season, so mm-hmm. they're going to mix and match a little bit. But I think the base alignment will remain a three four. And as far as the pressure rate, if you look at last season, the Giants actually ranked twelfth in the NFL in that department. So they did make a jump from 19 to 20, if you look at it from that standpoint. And as far as where they go in 21, I think a lot is going to depend on Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Zimenez, how healthy those guys are, what type of an impact they can make. And you mentioned disease, and then even a guy like Ifadi Odenabo. You know, what type of role does he paint yeah. within this defense, and what could he do? So, you know, those are the four X-factor type of guys, if you want to label it that way. And if they give a boost and the Danny Sheltons of the world and the Dexter Lawrences of the world can help make up for the loss of Dalvin Tomlinson. Yeah, they're probably going to spread the wealth with sacks, Jeff. I'd be very surprised if you have one dominant guy with the exception of Leonard Williams. But you can have success with your pass rush even if you have a few guys that could get in the territory of six to seven sacks. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Yep, and pressures, you know, and hits on the quarterback are cumulative. Those guys can, you know, they feel the pressure and they feel those hits. And, you know, sooner or later, those things will start turning into interceptions and even sacks. So I think that pretty much lays out the land with respect to the pass rush and what we can expect with the defensive alignment in 2021. And that is going to wrap up Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We certainly appreciate everybody tuning in. A reminder, there is no show on Memorial Day, so we hope each and every one of you has a restful and relaxful Memorial Day weekend. We will be back on next Tuesday, and we'll be resuming live programming at noon Eastern on Tuesday, so stay tuned for that. Jeff, it's been fun the last two days. Look forward to picking up the conversation next week. Thank you, Lance. Enjoy your weekend, and uh, we'll see everybody next week. Absolutely. And a reminder, today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants Podcast Network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. For Jeff Eagles, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest. Enjoy the rest of your Friday as well as Memorial Day weekend. We'll speak to you next week. Have a good one.